0: Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews.
1: Hey, this week, I'm your host. I'm Lou Figaro.
0: I'm Aaron Martell.
2: And I'm Mike Cordes.
1: And on this week's Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews, we have my pick, the B-52's debut record, the yellow one. I got a boombox the summer of 1980. We mentioned it last week during the Wall episode. It was a JVC, RCM70W. It took 10D batteries. Jeez. It had two 6-inch woofers and automatic song skip technology. This thing was a monster. It was like a receiver. It had so many hookups and radio bands. Anyway, I started buying cassettes around this time that I got this thing, and I went to a place that we had around here called Crazy Eddie's, and I picked up this album on cassette because I heard this crazy song, Rock Lobster, on Saturday Night Live. My friends all thought I was out of my mind when they first heard me playing it, but miraculously, everybody borrowed my tape and copied it. Aaron, where do you come in with the B-52s? Crazy Eddie's insane. <laughs> I love I used to love his fucking commercial. Oh, he was up there too? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought yes. he was just a local yep. guy.
0: Yep. Uh, I really don't have much history with this band. I, I always like the B-52s hits. You know, uh, you mentioned Rock Lobster, of course. Private Idaho, Love Shack, Rome. And I dug their unique, quirky vibe, but I never owned any of their albums, and they just struck me as sort of like a novelty act. I never saw the need to explore them any further. So the first time I ever listened to a full B-52s record was about a month and a half ago, (laughs) starting my preparation for this podcast. All
2: right. How about you, Mike? Kind of similar story. I Only the hits. Um, actually, there was a girl that Ray Z and I went to high school with who loved the B-52s, absolutely loved them. So I gave them a bigger shot because Love Shack was just ear burned out. Um, but because she liked them, I, <laughs> I ended up listening to more of it. But um, <laughs> I picked up this album about a year and a half, two years ago. Somebody oh, wow. was selling a CD collection. Um, So I've got this one, and this album in particular, it was only actually when I bought that CD collection that I listened to it all the way through. So I'm relatively new to the B-52s myself.
1: Here's the facts as graciously provided by Wikipedia, because you know all of that's true. (laughs) The B-52s is the debut album by the Athens, Georgia-based new wave band, the B-52s. It peaked at number 59 on the Billboard 200, and Rock Lobster reached number 56 on the Billboard Hot 100. In 2003, the television network VH1 named the B-52s the 99th greatest album of all time. In 2020, the album was ranked number 198 on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. The B-52s are Kate Pearson, vocals, organ, keyboard, bass, and additional guitar, Fred Schneider, vocals, walkie-talkie, toy piano, and keyboard bass. Keith Strickland, drums, percussion, and claire sounds. Cindy Wilson, vocals, bongos, tambourine, and additional guitar. Ricky Wilson, guitars and smoke alarm. And it was produced by Chris Blackwell. Side one, Planet Claire. are red. No one ever dies there. No one has a head.
0: Aaron. So the first things we hear are these keyboard blips and bloops. It sounds like it's going for a space-age atmosphere. And then Ricky Wilson's guitar comes in, playing the riff straight from the Peter Gung theme. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Which is why Henry Mancini gets a writing credit on this song. And then Fred Schneider, he plays the walkie-talkie, which kind of sounds like a telegraph doing Morse code. That's what it makes me think of anyway. And then Cindy Wilson, sister of Ricky, plays the bongos while Keith Strickland lays down the danceable drums. Kate Pearson plays both the organ and the synth bass, and she sings along with the organ melody in a high pitched voice that's electronically treated. And I wasn't even sure if it was a human being or not. I had to actually look it up. And it's cool when she keeps adding a note in the intro build up, you know, like like uh goes well, like one, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four. I, I don't know if you guys understand what I'm saying, but in, in the very beginning it's really cool how she does this. Um it takes two and a half minutes for someone to sing lyrics. <laughs> And it's done by Fred Schneider in this mannered voice that sounds kitschy. And it's like he's putting this on, you know, oh, my God. But it's done with a humorous wink and it fits in with the whole retro vibe of this band. And what you end up with, is it's like a collision of 50s rock and roll with late 70s punk attitude blended through a new wave filter that sounds like nothing else. I mean, the B-52s have a sensibility all their own. And the lyrics are about Claire, a girl whose uniqueness makes her seem like she came from another planet, her own planet, Claire, which makes sense. I mean, she drove a Plymouth satellite. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, as as an intro to this band, I think it's it's perfect and just lays down exactly what you're going to be getting with these guys. Mike, what'd you think?
2: Actually, very. of course, now, now since Aaron gets to go first, now I just get to repeat what Aaron said. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so the... Uh, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't lo- I didn't look up that it was Peter Gunn, but I did have that same sort of feeling because I put it was like a new wave James Bond theme, it, like all primed for the mm-hmm. 80s. I know this came out in, what, 79, yeah. but it's primed for the 80s. So I just figured it would be from a 007 movie called 007 Wants is Two Dollars. So that's <laughs> what the, the theme song is. Um One thing I like, I like how the keys are higher in the mix in the intro. And then the moment Fred Schneider starts singing, they kind of like swap spots in the mix, which I thought was was pretty cool. Um, And I read that uh, I actually when I first listened to it, I didn't realize that Kate Pearson was singing along either. And I saw an interview with her where she said she was really pissed at the mix because he he put so many layered effects over it to turn her voice almost into a synthesizer. And I had to really go back and listen to it a couple times before I could pick her voice out. Um, I know she wasn't happy with it, but I actually liked the song quite a bit. And the, the walkie talkie thing, I just thought of those walkie talkies when we were all kids. Remember they all had the Morse code on the front and you're, you know, you're sitting there for an hour with your friend, trying to say hi and figure out what the fuck you was typing in on that <laughs> little do, 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 Wait, was that long or short? Was it a dot? Was it a dash? Uh, I, I didn't know what any <laughs> any of my friends were saying, but I really I like. Either, playing I totally it didn't a understand
1: lot. what that was. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that Sputnik beeping. Yeah, I think it, it is Morse code in the back. I I want to know if it means something. Like if anybody's actually taken the time to write it all down and figure it. I'm too lazy to figure it out. But. Uh... <laughs> 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 no wait, that's Primus. It sounds like an old sci-fi movie that ventures like. Rift that everybody stood you tagged it pretty good aaron the, the peter gunn theme i, peter I, Gun I theme. Yeah, it reminds God. me of batman yeah
2: um, yes yes yeah yeah, I can hear that.
1: Cindy Wilson is slapping a pretty good, groovy little bongo beat there. The rest of the band kind of comes in. The keyboard's mirroring Kate Pearson's Spooky Bride of Frankenstein melodic vocal that she does. And yeah, I came back years later to find that holy shit, she's singing that. I thought that was the keyboard. It sounds like something right out of Judy Jetson's high school interplanetary dance party. Uh, school <laughs> interplanetary, <laughs> Janet, she's a galaxy girl. Then there's Fred, the flamboyantly fabulous frontman playing the walkie-talkie beeper, sort of an evil mirror universe, Paul Lind party animal. Surprise! <laughs>
0: yes, I thought oh of Paul God. Lind too.
1: She came from planet Claire, drove a Plymouth satellite, faster than light speed, planets got pink air, trees are red, entire population is headless and immortal. People say that she's a Martian, or one of the other seven stars that you could see after 3.30, but uh... But she isn't! <laughs> <laughs> Awesome lyrics, great groove, crunchy, heavy tone, yet not heavy rock. Uh, I could see these guys playing a frat party or a college dorm. Totally tight as a whip. Great start to a very, very different sounding record. Next up 52 Girls.
2: Mike, it's funny you ended with um, talking about how they must be able what they're like to play a frat party because I was just thinking how much how much fun they would it would be to see them live, um, and I never really put together until prepping for this how much of a surf tone that they had. Yeah, I think I just completely mm. glossed over it. I have like it just didn't click, and I, I it, it pisses me off that I never put that together before um, because you can hear it in Rick Wilson's playing, which for me it's the highlight on this track for me is his playing the little stutter work that he does really well combined with that harmony Mm -hmm. that um Kate Pearson and Cindy Wilson have and it could be me but in this one in particular it seems almost like it it seems almost like Rick Wilson is slowly increasing the tempo of how he's playing that along as there as those weird vocalisms they do rise in pitch and it's it's a nice effect I really like that and again i I, I lost it on this song because I really like this one too. This is a great start. Um, and when you were talking about the Jetsons, all I was thinking was Eep, <laughs> orc Ork, uh-uh, means I love you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it
1: does. <laughs> Aaron, what about you?
0: This track basically introduces us to the female voices in the band the beehive hair wearing Kate Pearson and Cindy Wilson. Mm-hmm. Their actual timbres of their voices are fairly similar in range. You can usually pick out who's who when one of them sings solo. But on this one they're singing together and they show off how they can both match pitches or effortlessly slip into harmonies. It's very melodic and catchy singing. I don't think Fred Schneider is anywhere to be found on this song. Sonically, besides the ladies, like you said, Mike, it's driven by Ricky Wilson's jangly rock guitar and Strickland's up-tempo, straightforward beat that maintains that danceability. This is a dance band too. I don't understand the lyrical meaning other than the ladies kind of naming off female names, like like this is a club, the 52 girls, I don't know. Some of them are recognizable, like Tina Louise and Jackie O, but they're the principal girls of the USA, so maybe it all means something, I don't know. They also name check themselves, so, you know, maybe they're all part of the club, I don't know. But that guitar does it for me, man, I dig this.
1: Yeah, that simple driving drum beat that starts this off as the band just bounces in like a pogo stick or tigger to this one. That's exactly it. The pogo. I can imagine a club full of people all just bouncing up and down doing the pogo to this in 1979. The song's Absolutely. called 52 Girls for a reason. They list them all. A lot of Southern names like Madge, Mabel, Mobble, uh, Biddy, Hazel, Mavis. Hey, I can name them today too. This song is a banger. It gets me banging. On the table, Dash, my lap, whatever else I can drum and beat on without getting punched. This sound really just defined their sound for me. Mike. Yeah. that surf sound that you're hearing is the Wright guitar. I think The Ventures use these. What they did was they tuned it to open G, and he took out two of the strings, so he can play this almost like a bass line on the bottom two strings, on the top two strings, and on the bottom two strings he's playing the leads. The oh, ball, 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 on on the okay. other side, so it really it's almost sounding like two guitars. It's a really unique. I don't think anybody else does it, but I I saw this interview with Keith Strickland, and he said that. He uh he and Ricky used to switch instruments uh because they all would play different instruments. That's how this band kind of started was they They had this club that they went to that you could just pick up instruments and play whatever you wanted oh god where where was I going with this anyway so oh the other guy would <laughs> would. <laughs> Break strings and then give him back his guitar, and they were too poor to buy even guitar strings. So he was—he just said, "He said, here, just tune it to open G and don't worry about it." Oh, that's <laughs> cool. That's a cool <laughs> story. The next number on this dance party is called "Dance This Mess Around." Heart,
0: I dance, I know I- To me, a lot of what this band does, what it sounds like, it almost feels like loose jams that happen to be recorded. And on this one, the tempo's slower, the guitar still jangles, but the tone sounds lower and darker, and the synth bass stays in the lower range, so there's like an uneasy feeling to this. It's not boisterous and exuberant like you usually expect from these guys and Kate also adds little organ trills, and Fred plonks on a toy piano that almost sounds out of place, but just reminds you how weird and quirky this band is. Cindy sings the lead vocals and frequently shows off another quality that both the female vocalists use. They can sing all pretty when they want to, but they also will occasionally belt out the vocals, sometimes in the same vocal line and along with Fred's seemingly random shouted vocals it all just adds to the odd personality of this group i know that they wrote lyrics and you know and they like i think you said this Lou they were tight as a whip but it sounds like almost like they all just like, like they're just jamming they all just throw it together and they're making up shit on the spot even mm-hmm. though they're not and lyrically Cindy tells her man to think it over before breaking it off with her and dance with her after all she's not no limburger she's just a limber girl then it goes off into weirdness where everybody goes to parties and does six, all 16 dances like the Aqua <laughs> Velva, the Dirty Dog, the Escalator, and the Hypocrite. Again, this feels loose and almost made up. Uh, like the band just ad-libs the vocalists to go along with the music. A lot of the B-52 songs feel like that, but it works. No, like, like we've been saying, no one else does this. It's yet another standout track, and it was the album's third single. What do you think of this one, Mike?
2: <laughs> I'm just going to say to Aaron, fuck off, Aaron. It's like, like... <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my notes exactly how I exactly word for word how I wrote them. Cindy Wilson belted out on this moody track. I like this because it breaks up the first two tracks from Rock Lobster, and yet it doesn't feel as campy. There's a cool darkness to the tone. You get the feeling almost like the people are dancing. The people that are dancing only went out because they don't feel like being home alone. Um, <laughs> on the first few listens, this easily became my 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 favorite track on the album. I I wore this one out in uh, in getting ready for it, and then I listed the dances as well. You forgot the shy tuna, the camel walk, <laughs> the Kuka Chu, and the escalator. So I fucking love this song.
1: Yeah, this stumper is one of my favorites on this too. It shows off Cindy Wilson's vocal talent as well as Ray's red flags on the sanity of this girl. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yep. <laughs> it's it's best when cranked up really loud. She's asking you to remember that when she was your girl, before you break her heart, you better think it over. But I think she's doing him a favor, waving every red flag she's got.
0: <laughs>
1: Cindy's wailing at him. Why don't you dance with me? She's no Limburger. She's a Limber girl. Aaron, you picked that up. Fred and Cindy's call and response. A, a bunch of classic dances. The shoe Shy Tuna. Ah! Oh. Hibby, hibby, Start and stop groove just makes you want to move. I, I'm really starting to love this band by this point. <laughs> All right. This is the one. Rock Lobster.
2: Mike, so is there really a more iconic new wave guitar riff i really think this kind of sets the tone for that for that genre um i also want to know how they harmonize those off kilter vocalisms <laughs> like the oh how, yeah. i don't know how they harmonized that. It, that that is one thing that has always amazed me about this song um and this song is uh, kind of a cool nostalgia has a cool nostalgic part for me because the it's weird it's in a video game for uh, xbox called dance dance party or dance dance i forget what it was but my kids had it and this was one of the songs on it and with the uh with there was a camera and you have to dance and it picks it up and it makes you dance to rock lobster and on the screen there's this fucking walking lobster and you're sitting here trying to do this new wave dance and me and my daughters would do it all the time so all my kids know rock lobster uh and because of that they also know what a shitty dancer their father is um i have as much rhythm as a table um but i love everything about this track However, there's one thing in particular that kicks it out, and that's Keith Strickland's drumming. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, my God. On this song, I think it really highlights just kind of the backbone that he was given underneath everything. And the, the album version of this, the last minute 30 of this, is the absolute shit. When that there song is. takes off at the end, oh, my God. I and love that. It, it suffers no earburn for me.
1: Aaron, what'd you think of Rock Lobster?
2: The big hit, right? The signature tune, the one everybody knows.
0: And it was the first B-52 song I ever heard, too. It's this mash together of surf rock guitar, 50s, 60s girl group harmonies, and new wave guitar and synth rock sections all done up in a punk rock do-it-yourself aesthetic. Plus, you can totally dance to it, you know, like Mike did with his kids. (laughs) <laughs> Just by my description, it doesn't seem like it should work at all, but it totally does. And Fred talks, sings the lyrics, and the girls answer him with their girl group harmonies. And it comes across like a free-form abstract painting. It feels like Fred goes, hmm, what should I do here? I know. There goes a stingray. There goes a manta ray. There goes a narwhal. <laughs> and the girls make these silly noises, or are they sing ooh <laughs> Again, musically, though, my ear is drawn to that guitar. And I think you explained it because of the way it was tuned. Now I get it. Now I, it's It doesn't sound like a normal, like you know, quote-unquote normal guitar. So now I understand why I'm so drawn to it. It has a deeper, darker power because of the way it's tuned. The lyrics use all sort of marine and surfing terminology to describe a swinging beach party where everyone's having fun. There's thinly disguised sexual connotations with the motion in the ocean lyrics. And and we, we kind of reference this already. Cindy Wilson does a spazzed-out horse whinny that would make Yoko Ono proud. Yeah! To sound sounds just like her. That must have been what John Lennon picked up. I mean, hell, Fred even throws in some cowbells. So what's not to like about this track? This was originally recorded as a band's first single, right? Like it was in, as
1: an indie, and then it was re-recorded for this record. So That's right, with 52 Girls as the B-side. Absolutely. This song's what everybody's tuning in for. Yes. It's the song that brought me to this band all those years ago. I saw it on Saturday Night Live. I needed to hear more. It's it's the story of the greatest beach party I ever wished I was at. Fred's the storyteller. Set in the location and the mood. We're at the beach, matching towels. Somebody saw a rock that was really a rock lobster. And Cindy Wilson screams. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta get a lot of mileage out of that. (laughs) Then the parade of characters. Boys in bikinis, girls in surfboards... Everybody's rocking and frugging and baking potatoes, getting baked by the sun. You get the picture. Fred's serious as a heart attack in his delivery, too. He's not fucking around. This party's the shit and you know it! <laughs> Rick Wilson's Ventures-like Moss Rite guitar sound makes this sound like a beach party on uppers and mescaline. Fred's going off by the end of this as Keith and Ricky are just locked in this tight... It's, he's a banging drummer. Mike, you picked it right off. Hell of a musician. He actually had to move to guitar after, unfortunately, Ricky passed away. They're just as intricate and intense as the dead kennedys without any of the cynicisms i think Mm -hmm. i'm literally tired when the song finishes did did you hear the thing where john lennon said that he heard this song specifically it was cindy caterwauling her way through the ending of rock lobster and said to himself you know it sounds like
2: yoko's music
1: (laughs) time to get out the old axe and wake the wife up
2: yep i had heard that listening to the B-52s is what kind of made him think that there was more of a there was like a market for Yoko. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was fucking
1: wrong, but (laughs) all right, let's flip this sucker over and drop the needle on side two. Lava. Getting hot in
0: here. Oh, sure is. Side two kicks off with this crunchy little rocker. And I've come to think that Ricky Wilson is my MVP on this record. That guitar riff is snarling and carries the tune with higher lead guitar overdubbed over the top. That to my ears kind of sounds like uh, it kind of sounds the fire alarm. Oh, that's what that uh, lead guitar over the top sounds like to me. Strickland's beat's steady and simple, and Kate's keyboard blips are present just in case you thought things were getting a little too serious. They never lose sight of the fun factor, this band. The three singers trade vocal lines as they reference Krakatoa and volcano terms to let us know that it's sexy time. My love's mountain. My love's erupting like a red-hot volcano. My love's a lava bomb, knock you in the head, kick you in the bed. We get it, guys. It's a burning hot track.
2: Mike. So we just got a straightforward rock riff. You know, he got away from that Ventures tone a little bit, which I thought was a cool way to start side two, because now you flip it over and you're like, oh, there's something else that they're pulling out of that bag. And the fact that they saved it for side two, I thought was a pretty cool way to start start this off. The song for me does get a bit repetitive, though. I thought they could have chopped about like a minute off, but it's still a good song. And what's interesting about this one is that I find myself bobbing my head not to the music, but to actually the cadence of Fred Schneider's delivery. Like he's it's almost like he's using that cadence as yet another instrument, which I really which I really dug. So but I like this track as well.
1: Yeah, baby, it's getting steamy in here. Slow burner, deep groove. I love the lyrics. My body's burning like a lava, farmer. And I get mm-hmm. it. I get that, how you can bob your head, my heart's a-cracking like a crack-a-toe. Uh, yeah. It's it, it's insanely dirty, if you think about it. And yeah. this is a really dirty band. It's <laughs> Everything is just laced with sex underneath it. They were real kind of shy about it on the first few records. But by their their last record, Funplex, it's just they're almost screaming, you know, Fuck, Fuck
0: me. me. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, turn on your love lava. Turn on your lava light. All the sexual innuendo you can muster on this one. Damn, it is getting hot in here. I'm going to jump in the crater. See you later. <laughs> I like to play this one loud around the house and follow my wife around and sing this at her while she's doing <laughs> housework or whatever. And I'm doing an interpretive dance as she looks on with a combination of horror and repulsion and fear. <laughs> Okay, there's a moon in the sky. It's called the moon. Mike.
2: first of all the, the name of the song it's got to be one of my favorite <laughs> titles of a song ever you know I just it's awesome and by the way i really want to ride in a gold meteorite myself i want to know mm-hmm. what that's like um mm-hmm. uh, but for me this is another keith strickland tune that i drum along to you know i i really have a newfound appreciation for him after doing the notes um over the last two days um i love this song as well and one of the things too um they sound so tight on this and the back and forth between vocally with those weird harmonizations and the, you know, it's cool. I mean, they really had to be on their game to be able to have that kind of back and forth. And while they're not Zappa-esque, there's a, there's a tightness to them where if you see them live, they must just be feeding off each other with that back and forth and all that kind of stuff. And I, I really kick myself for having not seen them because after listening to this record, I really wish I caught that. Um, yeah. And the, uh, this for me, like I said, Lava, while I like Lava, for me, this is, this is a step up. So uh, it, it's going right back in for me. So I like this one a lot.
1: There's a wealth of older shows that you could see on YouTube that are, are pretty good. From the 80s and 79, uh, from like 1980, 79. I think there's one from 78 too on it that you can kind of go down that rabbit hole. It's and you'll see that they're just as tight even live. And, you know, sometimes you can hear that they might have had some monitor problems where they were a little off pitch, but phenomenal, phenomenal band, and they were so young.
2: Yeah, there, there's actually I fell down that rabbit hole today. Uh, finishing up notes looking up the planet claire stuff just so i could see footage of kate pearson singing along yeah we were talking you know and it's a black and white there's black and white footage it was from 1980 um of them doing planet claire and it was just you 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 see the crowd you see them and it was just man it it looked like it was so fun to see them at that time
1: yeah aaron where's the moon
2: uh the title is a little redundant no
0: it's a nice melodic keyboard vocal line to kickstart this one, like in planet Claire. And then Ricky Wilson's palm muted riff. It wouldn't sound out of place on a Rolling Stones record with it's Chuck Berry by way of Keith Richards rhythm. And I read that apparently sister Cindy plays guitar on this as well. And, Fred's talk singing, his vocal style, he's trading the vocals, again, call and response style with the girls who either sing together percussively like a punctuation or they kind of drift off with wordless melodic lines. So we already had a beach party and a dance party, so why not take the festivities to outer space? And I got to admit, I get a chuckle out of friends yelling, Uranus! (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know why. (laughs) But there's a nifty little verse in the middle of the song. If you're in outer space, don't feel out of place because there are thousands of others like you, others like you, others like you. It could be comforting words to a misfit weirdo fan. Mm -hmm. The B-52s accept you. They throw out other cosmic terms like Saturn, Jupiter, the Van Allen Belt, and Andromeda to remind you you're in the space age, and the track concludes with more spacey keyboards matched with the girls' vocals. Yeah, Mike, I dig this too. The group just continues the winning formula.
1: The girls really add everything vocally to this record. Um, Yeah. But then there's Fred singing about the moon. In the Sky and everybody else up there. And it's just a stupid song to dance to. And dance you will. I gotta give it up to Ricky and Keith. They're really the backbone. Mike, you you picked you said it. They're the backbone of this band and this tight unit. Keith's a banging drummer. He drives these guys. Love this tune too. And now the next track is Hero Worship.
0: This is a little bit more of a basic rocker with both Ricky Wilson and Kate Pearson on guitar. They interplay a little bit and they're distorted, but they don't slam into you like a punk song. I get almost a Velvet Underground vibe from them. While Keith Strickland's drums, I mean, yeah, like you've been saying this whole episode, Mike, just maintains that new wave dance rhythm. And this time Fred Schneider's on the keyboard bass. Don't worry, you can still move to this. Cindy Wilson takes the sole spotlight as she belts out the vocals. She aims to please her man. She's on her knees. She worships him. He deserves it, and she preserves it. Uh, this is the first song on the record that falls a little bit flat for me. It's a very different vibe, but it's not as fun for me. Uh, maybe it needs input from the other singers. This one I'm not feeling as much. What do you think about it, Mike?
2: So I actually like this one a little bit better than Lava. I, um, I see your point though aaron but it's and i think the thing that the two those two songs share is it is more of a rock riff uh less of the ventures tone um but we're on track eight and i have finally pinned down what i like about this album so there's a really cool dichotomy between how tight musically they are and there's a pitchiness and Mm -hmm. almost some vocal misses but i really think it's deliberate um I have a thing. I like, I like bands that are a little sloppy. Um, And those vocalisms there's no doubt that they have talent, but to the point where when they do those weird vocalisms and you get the little pitchiness and stuff, it's, it's done on purpose. And I think those two aspects of the band play off each other really well. Um, The reason why I like this one better than lava though, is the last 50 seconds, the last 50 seconds of this song. It just, again, like uh, I think, Aaron, you were saying, you get the feeling it was built out of a jam. Mm. At the end of Rock Lobster, I had that feeling, and I have that feeling here at the end of this. The last 50 seconds of this song for me is the stuff legends are made of.
1: Heroes falling to the ground like Hell's Magnet pulls me down. Jeez, gotta love art school rock. (laughs) Took me a while to understand this song, but once it clicked, I can't skip it. It's got a great groove. Cindy is in full crazy girlfriend mode as she caterwauls, hurls, screams, and wails her way through this bouncy tune. She took Yoko-style singing and made something listenable out of it. Another great tune. The next track is 6060842. Poor person with that phone number.
0: <laughs> no shit, Aaron. Six oh six oh eight four two. <clears throat> Ricky Wilson saves this one for me, and the funny part is he doesn't do anything flashy on this record. He just cranks out retro styled new wave riffs or that surf music or those surf music riffs. But the low tunings give his tone an edge and a bite that I find very appealing. I, I can't I can't sing the praises enough of this guy. Other than that, there's not much else musically except for an occasional keyboard stab here and there. And we're back to the three vocalists trading lines, and I really like that. The ladies are harmonizing, and the lyrics are about finding a number on the bathroom wall for a very nice time. Give it a call. But Fred's been trying all day, and the damn number's disconnected. And for some reason, the middle section just grabs me. I can't explain it. The vocalist sing a line and the guitar answers with two simple strum chords, and my ear's just drawn to it. Sometimes less is more. I don't know why I like that. I just do. Uh This isn't a favorite track on the album for me, but I still dig it, man. I'm not skipping this.
1: Mike, how'd you connect? So
2: first of all, so Tina calls this number, and it almost <laughs> seems like Tina has the female version of Blue Balls. So that's that's what I thought originally on the way on the original, um, the original listen all the way through. Um, But it's pretty daring lyrically for 1979. Um, But did those messages ever appear on a ladies room wall? That's what I want to know. That's the bigger question. I came out of this track. The uh, the Venture Surf Tone is gone again. And for me, the song is almost meh. But once again once the number's been disconnected they again pull me back with those rick wilson shuffles yeah. the pauses the bongos they bring me right back in they really know how this band knows how to finish a song you know they, they take you on the basic framework and then they just go off into one of those one of those almost jams I'll call it and they finish strong it's it's another good tune
1: the old rock song about a phone number on a bathroom wall, talking about pulling out a dime and praying she'd get the line, is a testament to how it used to be to have to ask an operator to connect you on a payphone. 6060842, and I'm waiting for you. Post punk banger, impossible not to bang your head to. Even if it's not metal. Fred's exasperation is funny, complaining in the operators, calls not going through. That stupid number all day long! <laughs> Your number's been disconnected. This is high art, kids. Pay attention. All right, so the last song on this album is called Downtown. Mike, you going downtown?
2: No, I'm not. This <laughs> <laughs> I this is this, this is the wall they, they should have ended with six zero six oh eight four two. I kept waiting for Rick Wilson to jump in and like bring <laughs> this song back, but alas, <laughs> I was let down downtown. Uh this one sticks out like a sore thumb in comparison to the rest of the record. And it is undoubtedly my Mike's unimpressed fucking fuckery. <laughs> Aaron, did
1: you ever go downtown?
0: Uh, You know, I've never been a big fan of this either. (laughs) I'm not even the original by British singer-actress Petula Clark. And that was a number one hit in the U.S. in 1964. And this song's been covered by a bunch of different artists. This version's got background noise as if the band's doing this live in front of an audience. And it features Kate singing lead in a terrible faux British accent. And she plays the keyboard that dominates the sound on this. Fred and Cindy add their backing voices, and Fred plays his cowbell. And then towards the end, Ricky's guitar shows up. A man, for me, this just proves the old adage that you really can't polish a turd. I'm totally on Team Mike with this one. The lyric tells you how great it is to go downtown in the city, inspired by New York, seeing the sights, hearing the sounds. But unfortunately, this album closes on a dud.
1: It's Ellen Stanky Stanky. The Petula Clark song is better. This is the weakest track on the album, I agree. Uh, It should have ended with 6060842. Mike, you're absolutely right. Agreed. It reminds me of And Then She Kissed Me on Love Gun. Yes. Fuck that song, too. This is lose obligatory skipper on every record. Loser. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our final thoughts, Aaron. This was a
0: pleasant surprise for me as I really didn't know what to expect. And I was kind of leery about doing this record. And then I come to find out that the B-52s are pretty much what I thought they were a unique quirky little new wave outfit that mish musical styles. And they got a retro fashion sense, but there's still a lot of fun. I noticed that this earlier stuff sounds different and better then their later commercial material. And that's due, of course, to Ricky Wilson's guitar. I've been saying that all episode. He's really the musical juice in this band, along with the singers and the drums. It's a shame he passed away from AIDS. You know, he was 1985 at the age of only 32. I genuinely really like most of the tunes on this record. They've got a basic formula that they pretty much stick to, but they're entertaining as hell, and they keep me bobbing my head, which in this case is a good thing. I'm giving the B-52's debut album a three and a half. And though they're never going to be like a favorite of mine or anything, you catch me in the right mood. And I could go
2: back to this on occasion. You put this on and I'm not going to tell you to turn it off. Mike. So I'm with Aaron. I was surprised. I had heard the record, but like I said, I hadn't really listened to it and I was like, "Eh." and then getting ready for this week. I'm like, man, this is such a strong album. And now, and I think I understand better now the attraction to it. Um, I think I, I think Aaron, you said you almost wrote them off as a novelty band. And that's, I think how I, how I viewed it. I mean, I, I, like I said earlier, I DJ weddings occasionally. And if I have to hear love shack one more fucking time, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate that they've been pigeonholed by, by that song, even though it captures their spirit, that song doesn't do them justice. Everybody needs to listen to this record, the early, the, you know, the yellow one, the red one, which is what wild planet, um, they're, they're such a good band, and they they got. I think their campiness caused them to get overlooked musically. Uh, I also give this. I actually I'm gonna give it like a three point seven five. I really want to give it a four, uh, but downtown I I just can't. Um, so I'm sticking with that.
1: When I first heard them, I was a fan. I got Wild Planet. And while it was slightly different, it still had the same spirit um, and is another one of my favorite records. It actually could have been a double album paired with this one. They wrote most of those songs at the same time. When Mesopotamia came out, I was excited but quickly disappointed when I heard it because of the sound David Byrne of the Talking Heads Uh, he produced it and he changed the sound I didn't like the new direction and by the time Whammy the fourth album came out I wasn't interested in him any longer this only proved to be even more the case when they released the next record Bouncing Off the Satellites which was just terrible but then the reason why was because Ricky Wilson was dying of AIDS during that record and he did pass away and it fractured the original lineup and sound and when they came back after this devastating loss with Cosmic Thing Love Shack became everything that I hated about the music industry. Total commercial success. I recently heard that their last record, Funplex, had some of the old magic back. It's got some great grooves, but damn, these old biddies are dirty-minded. The whole record's <laughs> about sex. Fred, I'm not excluding you either, you dirty old Betty. Uranus! Uranus! Um, I give the B-52's Yellow album a four and a half. If it wasn't for downtown, it'd be perfect for me. And it's a perfect departure from... What was expected back in 1979? Kiss was going disco. Pink Floyd was building their wall. Zeppelin went country. Sabbath went jazz. Anything was possible. Why not the B 52s? You can dance this mess around anytime. And from the R4 podcast, Ricky Hilton Wilson. Rest in peace, sir. And that's
0: going to do it for this episode. You can find this podcast on all the podcasting platforms wherever you listen to them. If you like what you hear, please subscribe or follow the podcast and leave us a review. If you'd like to contact us directly, we can be reached at RidiculousRockRecords at gmail.com or also on the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews Facebook page, where there's a link to hear each podcast. We're also on Twitter at r 4 podcastaron and Instagram under R4Podcaster. If you feel the podcast has value and would like to make a contribution to support it, please head over to Patreon and the Ridiculous Rock Record Reviews page and sign up on one of the monthly tiers. Feel free to leave all of your feedback, comments, reviews, and or suggestions at any of those places I just described.
1: We'd love to hear from you. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for letting me be the guest host this week. Aaron, Mike, thank you.
0: Let's flip this sucker over and drop the needle on side
1: two. Uh, can I talk about Rock Lobster? Or are you oh, just trying sorry. to fucking phase me out of my own podcast? Nope. No, he's <laughs> just gonna repeat what I <laughs> said anyway. There's no. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck all you guys. <laughs> this, this Fuck this going. podcast. I'm out. <laughs> Fuck this show. You. This is starring Lou Ferraro. This is his show. Fuck it. And <laughs> what'd you think of Rock Lobster? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Ah. <laughs>